Hello and welcome to Blowing Cartridges, Episode 6, the gaming podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tam, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Zach Clark. So Zach, last episode I asked you to send me a check in the mail, and I, I'm still waiting for it. Did it get lost by Oz Post, or where is it? Uh, look, I've transitioned to a cashless society, uh, Brendan, so I don't have any checks, even though they aren't cash either. Uh, you're going to have to bring like a, an ATM machine to me, and I can, I can tap and go you the money, but that's, that's about the only option available. Ah, uh, okay. So uh, next time I meet you in person, we'll do a Bitcoin transfer. Okay, that that's good. We'll yep, embrace yep. the blockchain. Exactly. Speaking of cash transfers and money, one of the issues that have come up recently in ga- in the gaming discourse is the idea of what a game is worth and the value of games. Because I'm sure most listeners are aware, but we are coming very close to the launch of the next generation of consoles. In amongst that discourse has been this question of, well, how much should the games for the PS5 and the Xbox Series X cost? Because at the moment in Australia, a new game generally costs anywhere between $69 to $89 at launch, and there's some suggestions that that might increase. So Zach and I thought that might be a good topic to discuss and to really dive into and uh, analyse how do we justify paying X amount for a game and I guess the different issues that jump out from that discourse and to join us today into talking about this is our good friend and frequent listener of the show I'm sure uh, Luke so Luke I guess maybe give a brief introduction of who you are and uh, kick off the discussion as to do you think that at the moment we pay a reasonable price for a new game uh, yes, hi. Uh, thanks for inviting me on the show. And uh, just to say a bit about myself, I'm also known as Elvanade or Lemonade in other places. But anyway, the question about game prices is interesting because they vary so much and people have a very specific idea on what they should be. But uh, I think developers uh, really deserve what they you know, all the effort that they put into it, so it's good to pay for it. For full retail prices, I'm pretty happy with their current level. So what are you thinking? One thing that this discussion brings up is the contrast between physical and digital games in that I have this mentality that, well, a game I go to EB Games or JB Hi-Fi and pick up, I'm happy to pay $60, $80 at launch. But if it's a digital game, I'm generally in, it launches for eighty dollars because it's not going to get a physical release, which happens for some more niche titles. I'm generally not happy to do the same thing. I'll think, oh, it'll go on sale eventually. Oh, it's a digital game; it's only worth maybe forty dollars new. That's that's sort of the threshold I set. I, th- I find it interesting that we do place these mental barriers when it comes to purchasing decisions. I remember around the Wii era um weren't standard full price retail wii games a hundred dollars where kind of now switch games have come down a bit exactly i remember when game was still a thing in australia still is in the uk but i walked into game it would have been about 2010 and or maybe oh around then anyway and modern warfare 2 on i think pc or ps3 was 120 dollars full price new so We've had this strange occurrence where around those 2010 er, um, period, games in Australia 
they peaked in price at around that $100 mark, a bit more, and then we, it had a decline. It's come back down to you can go to JB Hi-Fi at launch of a game and generally get a copy. You, I think Ghost of Tsushima launched for, did it launch for 69 or 79 or around there at JB Hi-Fi? So it's come down and it looks like it's coming up. I think, well, you worked in retail, Zach. Did you ever, what, what was your observations? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because the Australian like retail market for video games uh probably for me easiest to compare to the US market just because that's the one we hear about the most online, but it's it's quite different because our retailers are at least at the launch of a new game far more competitive in terms of trying to discount from the full retail price to get you into their stores uh whereas, you know, when you hear a lot of pit gamers in the US talk about games, they're like They've been sixty bucks US dollars standard for you know, uh, I think at least the last two generations, like PS4, Xbox One, and PS3, Xbox 360 Wii, and I think potentially I can't remember if it swapped to PS2 or not, but either way, and it seems like they just no matter where they go, they're paying that sixty bucks on on day one. Whereas here, you know, we get a, a pretty intense fight between you know JB Hi-Fi, Targets, Big W's if they stock the game. Uh, Harvey Norman come and goes depending on how they feel <laughs> any given month, <laughs> and it really drives the prices down. I mean, I probably can't go into specifics, but when I was working at retail, I could purchase games at, at what they told us was cost price, and I guess all I'll say is, you know, the cost price to the the recommended retail price is a pretty good chunk. You make a good amount of profit per sale, but on launch day, I'd reckon most games are selling either really close to that cost price, you know, still maybe a little bit of profit, but but not a ton. So I guess it's just interesting to see how aggressive um, our our retailers are. And it's kind of resulted in this weird little and good phenomenon for us where uh, we end up paying less for a brand new game than a lot of other parts of the world, particularly, again, the US. Like, I think, um, you know, while I was comparing, um, you know, some recent Switch releases to people in the US paying 60 US dollars and the way that our, our dollar is at the moment, when we're paying 69 Aussie, that's that's less than when 60 US dollars when you do the conversion. So it's really good for us um, and also means that it, uh, sometimes, in a weird way, you're better off buying that game day one rather than waiting like two or three months. Like, because in that two or three months, a lot of the time they go back to full retail before eventually like a discount version or a game of the year edition or or you know retailers just decide to cut it you know in half and a two for fifty dollar sale or something so if, you, if you're going to play it within the first year or you know first few months of release anyway you're almost best getting it in that first week when everyone wants you walking into their store to get that game which is really odd but also very good on that point do most of the sales happen in that first week i think that'd be right you know, you have your exceptions. Like I, when I started in retail, it was around the mid of the Wii era, I think. Sort of pre-Just Dance and New Super Mario Brothers Wii, which I think were two of the last like really phenomenal releases that sold, you know, gangbusters. That's where you had some exceptions. Like obviously your Wii Fits, your Wii Sports, Mario Kart Wiis, they would sell consistently throughout the year. Every Christmas there was a new resurgence of people buying it. But like stuff like, just trying to think, like Bioshock Infinite, you know, everyone's there day one and then sort of peters out until you get like a game of the year edition or something down the track or it drops to 25 bucks and people go, oh yeah, I'll, I'll give this a shot. I heard it was good. I live in a regional city 
and buying options is very limited. So until 2007, really the only place I had to buy games was Target, which back then they were actually really good with games, but now Target is basically trying to get out of the games business. I've got very little selection. And so now I buy everything at EB and at uh, new releases, they don't do discounts. So I don't have much of a choice. Because will your EB refuse a price match since there's no competitors in your area? They used to. Um, they used to price match with Target, but seeing as Target barely gets anything anymore, um, I don't bother trying to price match. Definitely noticed EBs even here have gotten a lot more. Um, like again, it feels to come and go when I'm shopping at an EB, but these days they're real tight with the like. I'm gonna call up the store and check if they've got stock or those kind of things. Whereas for a good while, at least you know two or three years, I felt like all I had to do was rock up and say, you know, Target's got it for fifty nine bucks. Show them your level four card, and they just do it for you without any questions asked. Sometimes I even just say, "I'm guessing you're already price matching." You know, Target if they're a good, um, a good, uh, you know, employee that that recognizes you as a regular. Um, but then if that switch flipped, I reckon late last year, maybe or earlier this year, I, I had to go through the hoops to, to get my my ten or twenty dollars off, whatever it may be. Yeah, it was in the Wii U 3DS era that I was price matching with Target a lot, and around that time they were fine. Like, even uh, when the new 3DS came out, they let me price match that with Target. But yeah, now they seem to be a lot more strict about it. Yeah, I haven't tried recently, but I always found it came and went their willingness to price match. It was the same EB Games. Uh, When Twilight Princess HD launched, I I think I had a pre-order for it, and I went down on release day to pick it up and try to price match and they gave me the whole oh it's sold out everywhere so we're not going to price match it but a couple of years later i went to pick up my pre-order of mario and rabbit's kingdom battle and what happened was basically what zach suggested i i went to pick up the pre-order lined up got to the counter said what i was there for and before i could say anything about a price match the guy there behind the counter was like so yeah Target has it for this price. So you you were just about to ask me for a price match, right? Sort of winking me and then rung it up for the price match price. And I thought that was fantastic because, well, I was going to ask anyway, but didn't even have to. And so I think it does depend on the manager when it comes to EB games is from the stories I've heard. But it's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, and I think it's interesting as well when we talk about not just this price match, but just prices of games in general because coming back to your digital um point brendan i mean game games are in a space where they can be so dynamically priced now which they couldn't thanks to digital uh but these full games that you would classify as full retail or do get a retail release the prices of what you would consider the the rrp or srp depending on you know which term you want to use almost mirror what is available on you know your digital storefront so you know your xbox live uh your psn and your um nintendo eShop, and it's really interesting because like you know take your your twilight princess for, uh example like i bet you were quite annoyed having to pay full recommended retail price compared to when you know you could go to target or whatever if they had it in stock and could have saved 10 bucks but in the digital space for these kind of games there's, there's no option for a day one discount you know you can't call up nintendo and be like oh can you you know reduce it 10 bucks because um harvey norman down the road's doing it for, for that much less it's 
and it almost forces you, or maybe not forces you, but highly encourages you if you're trying to save money to stick to the physical route. And I know that's a reason a lot of people I, I know still get physical, even if they like the convenience and aren't even collectors like you know you or I when it comes to purchasing games. Though I have noticed recently that a lot of publishers for digital versions and a lot of indie games as well, they'll offer a discount if you preload the game or they'll offer a discount for the first two weeks after they launch a game. So it's almost like they're using the same psychological retail marketing tactics as your JB targets and the like use in a retail space as well. That They know that, well, when we release the game, we're going to get a lot of attention on our game. So an extra way to entice people to buy it and not sort of think, oh, I'll wait for a sale and inadvertently never end up picking it up in the end because they forget other games comes out, what have you, that they have this incentive of, oh, if I buy it at launch, even if I don't have time to play it at launch, I'll get $5 off. This is a good deal. I'm going to click that buy button on my Switch or on Steam or what have you and buy it. Yeah, that's definitely worked on me a few times. I think even the other week when um, I think Nintendo had that indie presentation, I you know went on the eShop. I'm like, oh, you know, a short hike, ten percent off, or whatever it was, and uh, Takeshi and whatever is another percent off. I'll get those. But then Spirit Pharaoh, which I still bought um, and have been enjoying, uh, was was not discounted, and it made me feel a little less good about that purchase uh, at at the moment. I've I've since changed my mind because I'm really enjoying the game. But I mean, that also brings up an interesting point. Spirit Fairer, that is, because um, Drew, who we had on a few weeks ago, was talking about how he's got that game on Xbox Game Pass, and that's yet another new uh, sort of wave of, of value and, and pricing that really changes how you think about what you want to pay for games. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't used it myself yet, but have either of you used Game Pass yet? I think, Luke, you, you might have. Yeah, I have. Um, so just... To talk about overall pricing uh, and its affordability, I work full time, so I get paid decently well, and I have no issue paying full retail price for new games coming out. But at the end of 2017, I was unemployed for six months, and then I really felt it that I couldn't really buy much at all, and I think there was only one or two games that I bought. But Game Pass was extremely helpful at the time. Um, I can't remember if they had one of those $1 starting offers, but I got Game Pass on my Xbox, and it's so affordable, you know, $10 or $15 a month, however much it was, and I played heaps of stuff on my Xbox through that just to pass the time. It's uh, extremely good value. It's uh, like the best thing on, on gaming systems at the moment. Has it changed in your mind, like what price you're willing to pay for some games, or is or is that not really coming to play yet? You don't find because I don't feel like I'm buying the game. I'm buying a service. It doesn't alter what I think the value of a game should be. I guess. Do you ever have that feeling that oh, this game might come on Game Pass? I'm not going to buy it, or is your perception very much well if there's a game i want to buy i'll go buy that but if it happens to be on game pass and i'll just play it on that uh yeah definitely if there's a game uh, i can't think of any exact examples at the moment but if there's something that i'm interested in but don't really feel like buying 
I uh, will play it on Game Pass when I get it next, because I am not subscribed to it constantly. I might get it for a month or two here and there. But um, it's good for that sort of thing when there's little games that you feel like playing, but you're not sure if you're going to like them enough to buy it. Then, uh, because Game Pass is not a permanent thing, if you really like it, then you can buy it permanently. Yeah, that's really interesting to me because, like, I think you know when we're talking price, uh, I mean, the other half of the equation is value, uh, and, and they're not quite the same thing. Like, you know, you may walk into a store and a game's priced at a hundred bucks, but it doesn't mean it's worth a hundred bucks. In some case, that game, you know, in your mind, could technically be worth a hundred and fifty bucks because of how good it is, or how long it is, or other factors. Or on the flip side, it could be worth next to nothing, like five cents, because it's just like so bad or just just not something you want to waste your time with, which I think, you know, is worth discussing these sort of almost mental inputs we we sort of think about when um, considering that value of a game. Um, Brendan, what, what are some of the things you start to think about when you're thinking, is this game worth the money they're asking for? First off, I think partially I have a similar mindset to Luke, as in, well, I currently work a full-time job. I have very low... I guess, financial burdens on me at the moment. So if there is a game that I particularly want, it's in a series I really enjoy or it's in a genre I really enjoy or it just seems really interesting from previews or what I've read about it or seen about it in the press on YouTube, etc. I'll go down to the shops and buy it. But if it is a game that I'm a bit less sure on, if I'm a bit more cautious, if I think I'm not quite sure if I will enjoy it I'll then wait I'll sit on it and wait for the price to come down and I think there's also a mentality I have in that I know that Nintendo games will rarely decrease in price so if I buy it at launch I'm not going to be adversely affected well in my mind I'm not going to be adversely affected financially from that decision because if I buy Breath of the Wild at launch two years later it's going to be probably the same price so I'm not going to have that feeling of, oh, if I had waited, I could have got it for a, a cheaper price, which I guess is a mentality I have in that, like you do, Zach, but I think even to a greater degree than you, I buy a lot of games and then I just sit on them. I'll put them in my collection and I'll think, well, I'll play it eventually. And there are plenty of games that I still have not got to that point. So for me, the idea of, well, I know that this game will be cheaper along the line, will sometimes alter my perception, will alter my decision on when to buy it or not. Whereas if it's a Nintendo game, if it's a more niche game, like a lot of JRPGs or games released by niche publishers and niche genres, those will have a physical release and then, I guess, disappear from store shelves. You won't see them again for a very long time and then they'll increase in price. I'll go and, and buy those at launch. So... Those are the sort of, uh, I guess, factors that I consider when I'm thinking about will I buy this game at launch or will I wait? What about you, Luke? Is there much like, do you think about things like the quality or the length or anything like that when you're looking to pick up a game or is it more enough if I want it, I'm, I'm happy to pay whatever the asking price is? Uh, so I've actually got one specific example of when I've waited for a game to go on sale. So I think it was last year... Bethesda announced that they were doing a big expansion to Fallout 76 with uh, single-player content and proper quests and NPCs and everything. So that 
made me really interested in Fallout 76 because I liked the older Fallout games like 3 and New Vegas and stuff. I kept an eye on sales at EB and Fallout uh, and bought Fallout 76 for maybe 15 bucks or something. And then I just set it on my shelf, waited months and months until eventually that big update came out and then that's when I played it. So I think it can actually work out uh, in some cases like that pretty well. Yeah, I, I think I did a, a semi-similar thing when I was younger um, with a game that was also considered very bad and also had a... Well, it didn't technically have a six in the title, but if you... Most people call it something with a six in the title being Sonic 06 <laughs> when I waited for that to get to the bargain bins and uh, as a Sonic fan, uh, bit the bullet and actually like, well, for five bucks, I'm willing to experience this uh, unique piece of, of video game history. <laughs> And it was as bad as they said it was. And I think I traded it in for $10 to an EB or two or three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> I still have a I have a good friend of mine, Paul, and he still swears by that game. Reckons it's a very good game with a fantastic soundtrack. So I've always found that very amusing. Soundtrack's fine. Yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't call it fantastic. <laughs> Fallout 76 ended up being pretty good after that update. But yeah, anyway, um, with... The price of games and their value or what they're worth, I think it really, like, it's hard to calculate exactly, but it should depend on the kind of production value and how much the developer spent on making the game. Because a massive game like Mario or Zelda or the recent Final Fantasy VII remake, they cost millions and millions of dollars, so then you would think you'd be pretty happy to pay you know, 90 or $100 for those, but tiny little indie games that very small group of people made over a year or two, then I think those should be at much lower cost. That brings up an interesting point, and it makes me think about sports games, and you get your yearly iterations of FIFA, NHL, NBA, Madden, what have you, and effectively, I know it's a major criticism of the new Madden for this year, is that it's effectively just a roster update. It doesn't really change the game at all. There's some parts of it, gameplay-wise, that is actually worse, but it's still a full retail release game. You're still going to, well, in the US, you're going to pay $60 to buy uh, Madden 2021. Or I agree with you, Luke, but I think it's, I guess there's those dynamics of play that publishers and retailers will classify games as well. It's getting a physical release. In Australia, generally, it fits into two price categories. It's either going to be a full release game, which is, as we mentioned, can be anywhere between 69 to sort of 89 at the moment, or for lack of a better term, it's a, a B-tier release that might be $40 at uh, retail. I think you'd call it like a budget release would probably be the term, potentially. Yeah. Yes, a, a budget release, like, like for example, those games that Luke mentioned that are made by smaller indie studios, which are smaller studios, like basically indie games that happen to get a retail release like Overcooked, Dead Cells, Darkest Dungeon, and those sort of games, those will get budget releases. So it's generally those categories, but it's a lot more nuanced than that, though, ultimately, because as you mentioned, a game that fits into that 
big budget release um, window like your Madden, it's going to be very different costs that went into the production of that game than a Breath of the Wild or a Anthem or a, even like a Battlefront or a Battlefield. Those games are going to cost a lot more than what's effectively a roster update, yet they are retailed at the same price. Yeah, if I can sort of add on to that, because um, I don't fully agree. Like I agree in concept that you know you need to factor in how much a game costs to make um, but a really good example to me of where that doesn't hold true, uh, and I think will resonate with a lot of Nintendo fans, is um, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, where that game uses so many assets from Ocarina of Time and obviously was made in a lot quicker and cheaper time frame. Obviously retailed, I, I, mean, I'm, I would assume, at the same price as Ocarina of Time from when, when it came out. And I think that's fair because the game is still very good and I think worthy of that you know, full retail price equal to Ocarina, you know, you can maybe make an argument, oh, you should factor in some of the cost of the work done on Ocarina towards the budget of that game. But, I mean, I mean, in some ways, it's not too dissimilar to your Madden example where they've, they've taken assets from a um, a previous game and, and reworked them. Um, and in theory, it could have been a cheaper game if they um, were factoring it on the budget, you know, compared to other, you know, Nintendo 64 games they were developing. Which to me, I think, sort of symbolizes that other sort of half of the equation, which is, you know, what we think is the value matters sometimes more than what cost went into the production, so to speak. Because we're not always going to even know what that is. Like, we could guess. You might get an insider leak it. Um, you could analyze financial reports and maybe come to a conclusion if it's like an EA or an Activision. But for indies and stuff, you're never really going to know uh, unless somebody tells you. Um, so it's sort of hard to fully appreciate whether, you know, a game is being priced fairly based on the cost of it to, to come into the world and be created. Uh, something I just thought of is because games are an artwork, it's hard to give them an exact value, even though one game might cost millions that takes five years to develop and another one you know, took a year to develop and might have only cost a hundred thousand or I don't know how much games cost to make, that's just a guess, but it's an artwork, so it's really up to like the value is up to whoever you you are and how you feel about that game. Like one example I can think of is a Switch game that I really love is Sayonara Wild Hearts. It's amazing art, amazing music really good production values. The game only takes an hour to play through, but if that was uh, released at full price on a retail cartridge, I would definitely pay full price for that just because of how much I love it. But in reality, it's an eShop game that was maybe worth $30, but it, it just really depends on how you feel about the game. Well, exactly. I agree wholeheartedly. I think ultimately it does come down to what we've been alluding to for the last 10, 20 minutes in that it very much is what the buyer, what the purchaser thinks a game is worth and what, well, not what they think the game is worth, what they're willing to pay for the experience because because ga- games are art, they're an experience you're buying. So I might decide... I don't really enjoy FPSs. Like, they're okay, but 
it's something I want to do every now and then. So when it comes to FPS games, I'm going to wait until they're in the bargain bins. I'm going to wait until I can pick up a Call of Duty for $20 and play through a campaign, maybe play a little bit online and I'll get some fun out of that and then I'll drop it. But in contrast, I might also then say, well, I absolutely love JRPGs. I want to spend the next 50 hours just sitting down and sitting in my basement as uh, Yamauchi famously said and playing my JRPG. So I'm going to go out, buy a collector's edition, going to pay over $200 just to get this game and I'm going to enjoy it for 50 hours and then wax lyrically about it to everyone I can find to talk about it. So there's those dynamics at play in that if you hone in close enough and we're not looking at a macro view of, well, should games be considered, should games be priced in various categories, whether they are budget releases, digital or big budget AAA releases, if we instead hone down into, well, as an individual, what are we willing to pay for a particular game? I think you get very different answers. I think that's one of the good things about digital and this change in how games can be sold because it has allowed us, or not us, it's allowed developers, I think, to sort of more accurately at times hit that number. They do their own analysis and they get a sense of what is a, is a good price for how much they think they can sell and uh, cover their development costs. And if you're not going to force yourself to do a full retail release and have to sort of play within the the, the guidelines the console manufacturers uh, set for what seems to be the standard price for those games, either budget or otherwise, you can sort of price it anywhere um, from a dollar to, you know, $27.35 if that's the number you think is the magic magic number, um, which I think is a really good trend in price. Uh, and again, unfortunately, doesn't fully cross over to the physical side of things. Um, and often if you are getting physical, you know, limited run or whatever prints of digital games, you can end up paying like, you know, quite a bit more. Like I remember not a limited run game, but things like uh, Killer Queen Black um, or, uh, you know, these, these sort of like $25 digital games coming out full retail at like 60 or 70 and maybe to sweeten the deal I'll throw in some stickers or something to try and make you feel a bit better about it but that's that's more of just an element of the old school brick and mortar uh retail sort of distribution system sort of running on a bit more of a sort of set price point range that you're allowed to to put a game at when it comes to digital there are still I guess price brackets aren't there I guess I don't really buy digital that much but it does seem that especially for download-only games, it generally are a, there generally is a particular, I guess, price range of, well, we'll release a game and it's $30 or, oh, this game is $20. And it, it still does seem to be uniformed to a degree, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know. Because I'm only, th- I've recently, again, recently bought a few things on, say, the eShop. And there's some weird prices, even without discounts. Like, I think Spiritfarer was something like thirty-seven fifty or something. And, Maybe that's just because everything gets priced in US dollars and then depending on the currency exchange at the time they're setting the Aussie price, they just pick a number in, re- in relation to that. I don't know if it's that's a unique thing to us or whether I um, or whether you can just be more dynamic uh, and just pick whatever number you want. Uh, I would have thought there's no reason if you're on a digital storefront that you shouldn't be able to pick any number uh, other than if the, the owner of the storefront just says, no, nah, we're not going to let you, you have to pick, you know, 30, 10, 20, whatever, um, and, and work in $10 intervals. Yeah, I think 
from memory, I, I might be completely off base, but I think there was something surrounding price controls when it came to the 3DS eShop that there were some limits that Nintendo put in. But I think they did get rid of them after that because I do remember there was that infamous digital game on the Wii U. Was it called? Was it called the Memo or something that was like ninety nine cents uh, or a dollar ninety nine? It was just this. Really? Was it? Might have been the letter. The letter, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It was called the letter. It was just this really, really poorly made game that like reused assets from sort of I guess free open source sources, and it was just a very dirt cheap game that I think people bought because it was so cheap and it became a bit of a cult sort of thing. And that developer would have made quite a bit of money just off the fact that oh, we can price our game for a dollar and make it into a big joke and see who's going to buy it. Yeah, I think you are right that there was some standardization, and maybe there still is, to be honest with you. Again, I'm not certain, but I do remember, particularly in the um, PS3, Xbox 360, Wii era, uh, I think when both Xbox and Nintendo still used arbitrary currencies of, of their own, like Wii points and Xbox Live Arcade credit or whatever it was, uh, there was definitely like you're either a you know 2,000-point game or you're a you know 900-point game, but you can't be, you know... Uh, 1,126 point game kind of thing. So um, that was definitely a thing at the start. Um, but I think might maybe slowly going away. And I think that's also just driven by, particularly on PC, the more um, more people selling on things, not just Steam, but Epic, um, Itch.io, or even directly on their own uh, websites uh, and just saying, look, this is the price uh, I'm willing to pay and, uh, sorry, to sell it for. And, you know, if that's the price you want to pay, go for it. I guess bringing back the conversation a bit to a point we touched upon with major, oh, partially with Majora's Mask. When it comes to ports and remasters and remakes, what's our feeling? Do we think that these need to be priced at a cheaper entry price because they are a port or a remaster or a remake, or can they justify a full retail price? I guess it's a bit of a trick question because those are very different beasts a port a remaster and remake are three separate categories i guess personally i'd argue that a remake being full retail price is fine because it's effectively a new game like a final fantasy 7 remake like a Link's awakening on switch those games were from the ground up new experiences well new experiences that were influenced by past experiences whereas Something like a port is generally the exact same game, but ported to different hardware. So there might have been additional development costs, but it's effectively uh, the same game. And for a lot of Nintendo owners, I know it applies to us three especially, it can be hard to face at retail, oh, this game that released on the PS4 or the PS3 three years ago is now on Switch for free, um for full retail price, or I can go on my PS4 and buy for twenty dollars. What what's our feeling about this? I still think it goes back to how much effort was put into it. So, like you were saying, a full remake should be uh, a higher cost than a straight port. I don't think there's too much else to go into it, really. What's your thoughts on, to bring it back to more contemporary news, on the 3D All-Stars collection that Nintendo are releasing next week? Actually, 
I think it might be out by the time this goes live. But anyway, what's your thoughts on that? Which it's 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 about seventy dollars Australian to buy, and it's effectively a remastering of three games that released over the last twenty years. Over the last six months or however long it's been, there's been all sorts of rumours about that uh, Mario 3D All-Stars and some people were thinking it would be complete remakes of each one or other people were saying it would be a collection of all three and knowing Nintendo and how they like to value things, if it was going to be a collection of all three, there would be no way they would put in the effort to remaster all of them or remake all of them completely. So uh, the game is releasing on the 18th of September for $79.95, and it is a fairly straightforward port uh, with a few enhancements, so I suppose you could call it a remaster. And it is three games, so I think that value is pretty good. I don't have a problem with that. I think where it becomes interesting is when you try and compare ports uh, and remasters and remakes done by different companies, because it's not standard in terms of how they price any of this stuff, really. Um, Even within the same company, you might find them, you know, doing a, a port from one system know like from uh, sega genesis to the xbox 360 cost that much and then on xbox one they'll change the price up again um so like to take the 3d all super mario 3d all stars um example a lot of people are comparing it to the activision sets of of remakes i think we could call them um you know crash uh nitro trilogy spyro reignited trilogy and and more recently the the tony hawk pro skater one plus two which which are full remakes of three, or in Tony Hawk's case, two full games. Um, and they not only released at less of a cost than this Mario collection, you know, I think I can pick up on Amazon, like um, Tony Hawk right now for 50 bucks, and that just came out a week ago. Um, or full retail, I think it might be sixty nine uh, So still cheaper than Mario. And that's where people start. That's where it gets really tricky, I find, to figure out what's the, what's a fair value. Because uh, at the same time, you know, to me, these Mario games are feel a bit beefier. Um, you know, they're, they're really highly reviewed. Not to say Tony Hawk and stuff weren't highly reviewed as well when they came out. And, and even the remakes have been highly reviewed, um, but not necessarily to the same degree as a Mario 64 or a Galaxy. Um, Sunshine might be the, <laughs> the exception to that. And so in some regards, like, that's where the sort of the quality of the game starts to play in my mind, because um, I happily, you know, I'm going to pay, oh, I've already pre-ordered this Mario 3D All-Stars thing, but would I pre-order a similar kind of concept for, say, Bubsy? Pro- probably not, <laughs> you know? Um, even if there were more games, I don't know if I'd pay a full retail price for a for a Bubsy collection um, or seventy nine ninety five. And it's it's really hard to... Uh, in that case, it might be easy, but then at the same time, I, I can't really reconcile it logically to someone who's like, well, why did I only have to pay X amount of dollars for my three Spyro games that had brand new graphics and fixed up a lot of things and, you know, did all that? And I I honestly can't give a, a logical answer as to why I'm willing to, to pay this price um, 
when other companies are offering something of, of seemingly better better value and cost a lot more to make, I would have thought at, at a bare minimum. I think it goes back to the idea of ultimately it's market economics in a way where going to pay companies are going to put gains at a price that consumers are willing to pay for them. So Nintendo knows that people are going to buy three Mario games for full retail price and that's what they're going to set it at until they find out otherwise. That's what they've always done. You go back to the early 2000s where they ported all those Mario games to the GBA. Not just Mario games, a, a lot of the library of the Game Boy Advance was just Super Nintendo ports, not just from Nintendo. A lot of Square Enix did the same with a lot of Final Fantasy games and there were other publishers as well that did the same, pulled out old Super Nintendo games, made sure they could run on a GBA and plopped them there. And we're just seeing with the 3D All-Stars collection, if you look at Amazon sale charts and sources like that, it's already one of the best-selling games of 2020, not just the best-selling Nintendo game, but one of the best-selling games across the board. So people are out there willing to pay top dollar for it. So I guess we we can go back and forth about how we designate value to a game and whether this is just predatory behavior on the part of Nintendo. But ultimately, you can't really blame them when people are lining up to buy it. Yeah, I think people still would have lined up to buy it if if it was three separate releases valued at $60 each. (laughs) Probably. I think definitely. They could have taken the Final Fantasy approach, Luke, and divided Mario 64 into five parts and they still get (laughs) a truckload of people buying it. Maybe. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that's that's a good point. And now that I think about it, I'd almost argue, you know, looking at the the Activision example, maybe, and I I feel bad saying this to a, you know, multi-million dollar, potentially, I don't know if a billion dollar, but hundreds of million dollar company, but maybe they underpriced those games. Like, Maybe Crash and Spyro and, and Tony Hawk could have sold at full retail and and done the same numbers because um, at least I know for me and again sort of similar to you guys in, in a position where I'm you know secure job and and can pay for games if I wanted them um, or Crash I bought day one and I don't think an extra ten or twenty dollars would have stopped me um, back then when that came out uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people would have been in that same bucket um, back then. I think you would have got a lot of Crash and Spyro fans buying them if they were separate releases, but I don't think they would have been as wildly successful as they were because you had multiple elements at work. You had the rabid fan base from the 90s who enjoyed these games and you had people that were curious enough to, from what they were hearing about the games and they might have heard about them at the time but never played them. I was in that camp. And then you see, oh, I can buy the three games for... $60, that's a pretty good deal, I'm going to do that. Whereas if it's a bit of an unknown and it's, oh, the first game's out and it's $60, you might hesitate a bit more because those questions of value, those questions of, well, what actually went into this game come back into the discussion because as we, as I mentioned earlier, I very much think that when people go to buy games, they very much think about, well, if it's something I know 100% I'm going to enjoy, you're much more willing to put down as the asking price for it than something that you want to explore with whereas if it's a collection well it adds more value to the proposition um so sort of to go back to a 
probably where we started, these upcoming console releases uh, and the, the rumors that we're going to see a price bump. Um, again, given it's uh, American, I think most most of the rumors are talking American dollars, so a, a bump from 60 US dollars to uh, 70 potentially for your standard sort of retail releases of games. It's a really interesting one, and, and to sort of combine what you talked about, Luke, which is the cost of games, the last, you know, I'd say almost from the entire existence of the games industry, the cost of producing games has, has just gone up and up and up and up and up. For a while, you'd see prices of games jump, you know, per console generation to rect- uh, reflect that, but that, you know, hasn't really happened. Uh, at least, again, I think since the PS2, GameCube, Xbox sort of era, um, things have been relatively stagnant. Um, I think we got a, a potential, like got. I think at the start of the Xbox 360 PS3 lifecycle games were technically $120 here at recommended retail, but I don't know anyone that paid them other than maybe a few people who got one on, on day one before they quickly fell back under 100 uh, more in line with what we expected. I remember paying $100 for Red Steel on the Wii at launch. Oh, no. <laughs> that was a poor choice. So that's it. I probably paid similar for like Rayman Raving Rabbits or something, which which may, may have been just a bad choice. Ubisoft got both our dollars. But like, yeah, to, to that point though, cost of game making has gone up and it's kind of driven, uh, I say it's driven, but maybe these things would have happened anyway. But like the rise of DLC, uh, the rise of microtransactions, uh, and I'd even say the rise of collector's editions where you know, developers and publishers are trying to recoup some of that extra cost that they are incurring in making a game, but they can't just tack it onto the price directly because there is that hard cap of of whatever the recommended retail price is. And it isn't really until these console generational jumps happen that Sony and Microsoft, and I guess to an extent Nintendo, have an opportunity to sort of reset that and probably get a bit of pressure, I would have thought, from third parties to, to do so. So I guess with that kind of in mind, how are we feeling if if we saw our, our PS5 and Xbox, I'm just calling it the Xbox series, their games jump up, say, if we're saying games now are, are $79.95 on average, if they jumped up to on average $99.95, like 20 bucks. So I'm looking on the EB website of the upcoming games and the proper full retail price of full-priced Xbox and PlayStation 4 games kind of ranges from $99 to $120. So I think the game pricing in Australia is pretty fair. So I would say developers are earning enough for their games here. But in America, where they're only paying 60 bucks, converting that to Australian, that's you know still less than $80. I think in America it's probably fair that they bump it up a bit because uh, 60 just doesn't seem really enough for what they're getting. I guess not to get too much into economics and all those dry subjects that I hope people that are listening to this podcast aren't listening to this podcast for, but I think it is hard to compare Australian prices to US prices because there's other aspects like cost of living and inflation and those dynamics that are quite different across our economy and the American economy. So I think there's that caveat that we do need to be aware of when we're discussing US prices. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, I mean, even economics-wise, 
you know, again, not to stay on that too much, it, I'd be really interesting to see what consumers, I guess, react to. Because I think the reason the price hasn't gone up, at least, in, you know, for the most part, has been people are scared to see what consumers, how they'll react and whether they'll be willing to pay for it. Um, and that's kind of why they've tried to mask some of the, the increase in price through additional sort of add-ons. Which so it feels like you're paying sixty dollars for a game again. Just use the US number, but then by the time you get the season pass and maybe get a few uh, skin packs, um, oh, and you've got the collector's edition, so you already paid an extra twenty to get that figurine. You end up spending you know, you know, a hundred bucks, um, and that sort of offsets the the development costs. I guess. How do you think in general people would react to a, a price bump? Do you think that would deter a lot of people from making the jump to a to the next system or do you think it, it doesn't really matter like people if they want to play the games they're going to pay what they're asked to pay I think for early adopters like me and uh, I'm not sure about you guys but I would just uh, deal with the cost but I know other people are very price conscious and they would be uh, very wary of any increases so I know people already uh, wait a year or two when a new console releases and get it when prices have come down. I definitely agree. I think personally, I would prefer games to have an extra, I guess, 10 or $20 to their price if it does stop things like predatory microtransactions and the push that, oh, every game has to be a games as a service sort of model where we can constantly monetize the game and get more than the 40 or $60 we sell it for, I think, personally, I'd much rather just pay, if we're talking US dollars, $80, or if we're talking Australian dollars, $100 for a game, and not have to worry about any other costs, not have to worry about, in the case of Dead Space 3, oh, I need to buy bullets, because that's being turned into a microtransaction as well, for some very odd reason. But, and I think, maybe that would lead to me buying less games, because, oh, Games are more expensive now, so I'm not going to buy as many, but I personally would be willing to make that choice. But as Luke mentions, it is a tricky area because gamers come in all shapes and sizes when it comes to... I guess you could make the argument that games as a service and microtransaction is actually making gaming more accessible because publishers are able to keep costs down, publishers are able to maintain that, $60 range of for games so people are able to afford to play games whereas if you do increase the price people are going to have less disposable income to spend on these games and they might not get as many as they used to or they might think oh gaming is a too expensive of a hobby I'm going to go do something else that is more cost effective so there is that idea behind that as well that we might not like microtransactions and I think a lot of people don't like microtransactions but they aren't necessarily all about evil corporate entity number five wants to make a lot more money from consumers, so they're going to squeeze for every penny. I think there probably is an element of that, but I don't think it's the entire story. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, put it this way, I don't think the price hike, if it happens, is going to actually stop any of that stuff, sadly, because I think um, investors and, and that a bit of that corporate greed element's already in play and people are just going to chase as much money as they can. Um, but you know, yeah, like honestly, again, as much as a, as a lot of them are scummy, there is some validity to the free to play model for some games where that's just the, the, the best 
model for them, right? Where, you know, they are free to, to jump in and, and play a bit, but with sort of additional purchases you can make uh, and they're games that, you know, couldn't exist or function on our, under the standard, you know, set a price of, ten, even if we lowered it to 10 bucks uh, and try and sell it on a storefront just, just doesn't work, right? It just doesn't suit that kind of game. You would never get someone to put up the $10 up front, but download and play it for free and over the course of a few months, maybe chip in three or four dollars. Yeah, that'll that'll work and can create some experiences that we just never got before prior to the dawn of, I guess, the app store and and you know you know mobile gaming as it is today um, compared to the uh, you know your favorite uh, console, Luke, the the Engage. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I guess ultimately, if people don't want to pay full retail price for a game. Generally, in the current climate, it's not that hard to wait and see a price drop. Like, I'm sure all of us and all our listeners who are Australian can attest that if you walk by EB Games about 50% of the time out of the year, they'll have those massive banners outside saying, sale, 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 and all the stickers everywhere. And it's honestly, sometimes EB Games are always like that. So, I guess there is that psychological mentality we've discussed in previous episodes that people want to play games when they release so they can talk about it to their friends or talk about it with people online who are playing at the same time but for those gamers who cost is a bit more of a concern i think there are elements of the current market system that does allow them greater accessibility if we're waiting for the price of games to decrease it brings up interesting questions around well collecting retro games collecting games that have been released for a while maybe i just bought a ps4 and i want to buy games with launch games for the ps4 or maybe i have an old wii sitting around and there's that one game that i never got around to buying but i want to play it and i'll go up on ebay and look at prices for these games when it comes to retro games Zach and Luke, what considerations do you generally consider when it comes to buying these games? Because for some games, they'll be a lot cheaper. Like I could go to an EB Games and I could buy Killzone Shadowfall that was a launch game for the PS4. I probably can get it for $10 and I'll go on my merry way and go play that. Whereas if I want to get a niche JRPG for the Wii like Xenoblade Chronicles, EB Games still sell Wii games. So I could frantically try to search through their pre-owned games to find a copy which no doubt i won't have any luck doing but if i went on ebay and checked the prices i probably would be paying almost nearly full retail price for that game as i would have if i bought it back in 2011 so i guess what considerations what how do you weigh up in your mind whether what these games are worth or is it purely a case of i really want to buy this game i really want to play this game I'm going to pay the market rate for it because it's worth that to me. Uh, So I do a lot of old game collecting, as you'll hear about later. It seems to, like, cost seems to really vary between the popularity of the game and how old it is. But it seems to go on a curve if it's within... Maybe two generations, it's reasonably priced, but once it gets older than two generations, prices start going up. For games that I want to buy myself, it's usually just games that I feel like playing. 
that I will look into buying. Uh, I won't just buy everything because I can see it on the shelf. And for normal sorts of games, like less than a hundred bucks is pretty reasonable for used stuff, or less than fifty even, because uh, Wii stuff at the moment is pretty cheap, and Wii U stuff and like. Xbox 360 and I guess PlayStation 3 as well, it would be pretty cheap. And then as you're getting older, it slowly gets more expensive. Um, and then there are other things that you're collecting just for fun, like my N-Gage collection, as was mentioned earlier. Some of those can get incredibly expensive, like I've got almost a full set of N-Gage uh, games now. Uh, last night I just bought another game for it which was uh, Atari Masterpieces Volume 2, and now there's only one more game left till I have a full set of retail N-Gage games. And like some of those games, I've bought for $500 for one game. So pricing gets pretty crazy when you're doing collecting stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty similar to you, Luke. I My collecting has mostly been out of wanting to play the games uh, and either not having a way to play them, um, like they've never been re-released or anything, or maybe there's just a unique element to the original version that I, I want to experience, which means in those scenarios, I typically take the same approach to a full retail game in a, in a sense where I'm like, okay, how much is it going for on eBay on like average? Okay, it's, you know... 50 bucks okay yep yeah, that's that's fair i'm i 50 dollars i'm happy to buy this game and play it 300 dollars. i start to think about it a bit more you know how badly do i really want to play it and and that sort of starts to come into question uh I, i've yet to embark on a a journey like yours to complete a particular system or even like a set of games i suppose and i think when in in that scenario that's where my mentality would probably have to shift a bit because uh, at that point, you're sort of thinking less about the game and playing it and more about the game as a collector's item, I suppose, or, or a limited, you know, sort of thing that, that that's not in production anymore. It, it, there's only X amount in the world. There's not going to be any more. And if you want to be one of those people that owns it, uh, you, you're almost just going to have to meet the market um, or get very lucky and find it at a an op shop for, for five bucks, which is very unlikely in, in most cases. Um, like, you know, what, even just the last couple of nights, I started doing some Googling um, and eBaying and, and a few other sites to sort of see uh, the cost of some, you know, 64 on GameCube games that I, um, you know, rented as a kid, uh, but never owned. But I was sort of like, I'd like to own them. Um, and one was, was, you know, the original Paper Mario, which I only ever rented and then played again on uh, Wii Virtual Console. And it goes for like 350 bucks or something like that. And I'm like, do I $350 want to own a cartridge of Paper Mario versus I've already got it on a, a Wii and I think even my Wii U, I might have paid for the for the upgrade. I, and, you know, and that cost me maybe like 20 bucks. It's like, I don't I don't know if I want to bite that bullet, um, at least not yet. Maybe maybe I'll change my mind and it'll probably be 500 or 600 or $700 by the time I do. So that's kind of the things I... I start to think about is one, how badly do I want to play it? Two, can I play it anywhere else? Like, you know, on an ex current day Xbox or, you know, Switch if I'm going to play like Super Mario 64. Um, or, and lastly, um, what, 
how badly do I guess I want to own it as a collector's piece uh, and just have it as, as sitting on my shelf and, and look at it and feel good about owning that, that thing. <laughs> yeah, the value definitely changes between you want to buy the game for it being a game that you want to play and you want to buy it for it being a game in a collection that you want to collect. There's a very big difference in like the worth and value of how much you have to pay for it. I guess that's because if it's a game that you just want to play for the sake of the game, you can rationalise not having it by, well, I'm not going to buy Panzer Dragoon Saga on the Saturn because that's a $500 game now. But if I was going to try to collect a full physical release Saturn collection and that was the last game I needed to complete the collection, it would always be at the back of my mind, I'm so close to completing my goal I just need that one more game. Like, I just need that one last game. All right, I've, I've snapped. I'm going to go and pay $500 for it. So I, I very much agree with you, Luke. Yeah, but, like, you know, something I've been looking at the last couple of nights um, is, you know, I've sort of been inspired, honestly, by you, Luke. I, I wanted to get a console and finish it off. And the most um, simplest one I thought would be a Pokemon Mini, which is like a little. Uh, Nintendo handheld that has maybe seven games for it, I think, maybe more, but but not much more. <laughs> and I was looking into it, and it's like, oh yeah, I could get one. I can get the like uh, like English release games for it, pretty reasonably priced for the most part. There's a couple that go above, um, you know, one fifty or so, but there a lot of them are you know in the one hundred dollar or less range. And I'm like, that's reasonable. Um, then I'm like, well, there's there's only two or three J- Japanese exclusives. How much do they cost? Because you may as well go all the way, right? And like, I just looked up this Togepi one, and it was like minimum like five fifty, and I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> that is like five times the cost of like the console I'm looking to buy <laughs> right here. Do I want to start this journey? Um, and it is interesting because that those games, uh, unless you emulate them, aren't really available. Like some of them are available on a Pokemon Channel, but a lot of them, you know, the only way to play it is a a Pokemon Mini and the cartridge, um, so it's, it's still something I'm thinking about. I'll, I'll you know, might update in a few weeks if you hear about me completing a Pokemon <laughs> Mini collection. Um, week for my for my bank account, but um, yeah, it, it's it's a completely different. It's, it's requiring me to change, I guess, my my mindset to is five hundred dollars actually worth it when it's such a unique little piece of in Pokemon history, I suppose, that I'd be interested in owning. Yeah, I guess one of the issues that we're running into now is that, well, we we keep on saying that all three of us, we have full-time jobs, we can afford to indulge in our passion of video games. But so are a lot of people our generation, and that's why we've seen the price increases in all these retro games that we grew up with, like especially the PS1 and the 64 generation at the moment, and now, edging into the GameCube generation, those games are getting into ridiculous prices as well. So, people have fond memories of the past. They have nostalgia for their childhood and games they might have played at a friend's house or games they might have rented at the local Video Easy or Blockbuster or what have you. And now they want to go on eBay and get that game. And I think we've seen with the pandemic, with COVID-19, a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands, so retro game prices have gone through the roof. I'm sure all of us here have seen that phenomenon. I know I always have a lot of 
saved searches on eBay for games I'm interested in eventually buying. And the prices for a lot of those 64 and GameCube generation games have sort of doubled and in some cases tripled since the start of the year. And what do you guys think is the impact this is going to have on retro collecting as a whole? Do you think people are just going to swallow their pride and, well, pay what these ga- the going rate? Or is it going to get to the point where it's just going to become too prohibitive for a lot of people to stomach and they'll just keep those memories of their childhood and not try to relive them by buying these old games? I really think that something is only worth as much as someone is willing to pay for it. So uh, they can only go up to a certain point and then have to come down again. So I'm pretty sure that some of the increased prices in recent times are going to go back to a bit more of a reasonable thing. Yeah, I think I tend to agree. I think um, I don't have any statistics to back this up, but when you hear anecdotes from uh, people a bit older than us uh, in the collection field and were more into collecting either Atari or NES, uh, Sega Master System sort of games, uh, I think they went through a similar phenomenon where, you know, prices started to go up and then eventually they kind of plateaued and then sort of normalized. And right now they're considered kind of like where they're just kind of sitting where they'll be. And I'm sure that varies game by game. And there are some that are still going up and some that are still going down, but it feels a bit more steady is what I hear at least. And I think that'll probably happen with the, you know, 64 GameCube. And eventually um, I don't think they've risen yet, but we'll start to see, you know, PS3, Xbox 360, Wii games really start to rise and and probably go through the same experience. Um, So I think they will plateau overall and start to come down stuff that's super rare is all it is just going to cost a lot um and there's just not enough volume of sales i guess happening of your of your really rare games on a you know a 64 or or a gamecube or a ps2 or an xbox to get a good sense of um what i guess they're worth uh so so to speak or what is a fair price um, and you tend to rely a bit on eBay, but if there's only two listings and the last sold before that was, you know, six months ago, how valid are those listings going? And how valid is that last sold price? It's really, really hard to say. And that that's definitely something I'm uh, running into now, as I am sort of thinking of picking up a few things. Um, is is not being sure if I'm getting like swindled, I suppose. And it's it's very different to um, you know, when you're in a buying brand new games and you're like oh yeah well the retail price is this so i just base everything off that i you know i had to throw my concept of what the retail price is out the window and just think what is this you know going for and what could it go up to and you know what could it go down to um i think it's also hampered by maybe luke you're in a slightly i don't know if you're in a better situation it feels like you are because i hear you go to retro game stores a lot but i i don't feel like there's a lot accessible to me um so those online sites like eBay and, and you know Gumtree and whatever, I pretty much feel like they're in the only avenues I have to get these games. So I, I don't find there's a lot of opportunity to stumble on a bargain, so to speak. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because uh, in Perth, there are some really good retro game shops. Two specifically that I visit a lot are Retro Collect and Mad Retro. And um, they're very, very popular retro gaming stores, and they're 
uh, every or a few times a week posting up on Facebook photos of the new stock that they've got in. So it's good just to keep an eye on those sorts of things in case something interesting or rare pops up. Like, I uh, can't remember exactly how long ago it was, a Game Boy printer showed up on one of those and I bought it straight away. And that's how I have my Game Boy printer that I wanted for years and years. So it's, sometimes it's good if you have the opportunity not to rely on sites like eBay because sometimes things can just get a bit crazy on eBay. Well, definitely. And I know from living in Melbourne for a long time, there doesn't seem to be as many retro game shops, unfortunately. Like there used to be game traders. That was the main big one. But those have mostly died off. And I think there are a few smaller ones in some suburbs, but but I've never actually been to any of them. And a lot of them seem to primarily operate on eBay as well. So a lot of them mainly use eBay prices. So you're not really going to get a bargain there is my perception. But I don't know if you've had any better experiences with those sort of stores, Zach. Not, not really. I mean, it's sort of similar to what you just said. When I first got my first ever job and I was like, I'm going to buy 64 games online. Um, I definitely found eBay was much more value than, say, a Game Traders back then, um, which was about the only retro store I could access. Other than that, it's really cash converters, ironically. Um, and even then, they, they're they so in tune with the the Ebays and, and Gumtrees and that kind of stuff that they don't typically have massive bargains. Um, I did have a very positive experience um, uh, a few months ago, probably late last year now I think about it, where... Uh, on the way home from a, a road trip, I popped into a, a cash converted, sort of not too far from my place, but you know, I was driving past, uh, and luckily um, there was uh, bumped into a. I won't, I won't say their name, but someone you guys know from our days on, on Nintendo, uh, who I didn't know worked there, and he um, gave me a discount on Super Monkey Ball Two, and I got that at a. I have to remember the exact dollar figure. I can't, but he, you know, got got a good price on that, which I was pretty happy because I'd never actually played Monkey Ball Two, but have very fond memories of Monkey Ball One. So outside of really happenstance, lucky scenarios where you run into someone you know, or just a really nice uh, seller at a flea market or something, I I don't find a lot of just bargains out in the wild um, when exploring these days. I guess in, in lieu of not finding those bargains, do you find yourself, and Luke, you can chime in too, do you find yourself at an end of a console generation when games are dropping in price? Will you go back and pick up any all the games that you might be interested in because you think, well, I can get them for a good price now when there is a chance that they're going to peak in price, so now's the time to buy them if I have the opportunity to do so. I remember I did that during the start of the Wii U's life cycle, so 2012 2013 i'd i'd go through a lot of eb games in jb hi-fi and buy a lot of old wii games pre-owned wii games for more niche releases i knew would go up in value and i think for the most part that started to happen so do you try to i guess preempt the trends preempt the price rises and i guess be a savvy collector yeah um Wii U prices, I think, are starting to go up a bit now, but over the last year I have picked up a few Wii U games before they get too expensive, like the physical version of New Super Luigi U and Game & Wario and Wii Party U 
and uh, the physical version of uh, Wii Sports Club, which is like the Wii Sports remake uh, in HD. So if you know what to look for, you can kind of get in before things get too expensive. Yeah, I, I definitely do the same thing. Uh, not for games still that I'm not interested in playing. Like, even though I might know, you know, Brendan, you brought these up a lot, but, like, there are certain JRPGs and uh, niche publishers that, like, you just know it's going to go up. Um, but if it's a game I have zero interest in playing, I still haven't pulled the trigger on anything like that. But anything that I have at least enough of interest, like, I was kind of keen to play this one day or... Um, you know, check it out. I'll either I'll make sure to pick up uh, at some point while it's you know still readily available at retail stores, uh, even if I'm not going to maybe touch it straight away. Because yeah, I I don't want to find myself paying you know three hundred dollars down the track <laughs> if if I feel like playing it, um, which I think is a big driver of my current purchasing habits, I suppose. Or sometimes you just get the feeling that a new release is going to be like have a very limited print run and it will be hard to find later on. Uh, like I bought a 3DS game, Project Cross Zone 2, which was a very unexpected release. I bought that at release because I thought that would probably gonna uh, be hard to find eventually and I wanted to play it anyway, but uh, sometimes you can just have a feel for it. Definitely. I did that this year, actually, with uh, Trails of Cold Steel 3 on the Switch. I bought a copy on Amazon because I had a $10 voucher on Amazon for some reason, and I think it was to do with my Prime subscription, and it's a more niche JRPG, so I thought, well, I'm probably not going to get a much better deal than this. I do want to play the game, probably won't play it for a while, but I'll pull the trigger because accessibility of a physical copy might be difficult down the track. Yeah, I used to, when I did work retail, that was one of my favorite things was I could see what stock we were getting in in nationwide. Um, And so, you know, when I know we're only getting in two copies to this store and it's a game I'm interested in or might be interested in, I was very quick to snap some of those up. (laughs) Inside of trading there. Yeah, exactly. Um, And at a discount, which is great. Um, So, yeah, that was luckily during the, again, like the DS Wii era. So stuff like... um, you know, the local release of like Ghost Trick uh, and things like that, which there was not a ton of copies put out there because it was it was pretty niche and the distributor knew it. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to pick up and I mean, I haven't looked up what it costs these days. It's probably not that expensive because the DS is region free. Um, unless you're one of those people in, in collected world that needs that OFL's, uh, sorry, Australian classification board sticker or, or print uh, version. Um but, you know, things like that I do, I do miss from not working in retail anymore. Just going on a tangent, you'd be surprised by the price of DS games, actually. They've started to increase by quite a bit. And I think a large reason for that is due to the level of piracy on that system, a lot of people just flash carded those games. So actual physical copies of a lot of those popular, but games that probably didn't perform well uh, sales wise are quite difficult to find sometimes and you're going to pay well not necessarily difficult to find but you're going to find yourself paying a pretty penny for them yeah i I very much regret not getting some of the trauma center games on ds um but then did not make the same mistake on wii so so i got those 
luckily I think when they were really discounted actually at um at where I worked um because I'm like yeah Atlas release uh fairly niche genre going to be hard to get one day absolutely I guess going on that point do you find yourself doing that much thinking I might not necessarily want to play this game right now or maybe even this year but it's something that I do want down the track and it's going to be hard to find so I'm going to pull the trigger and buy it today well, that's exactly what I did with the uh, 3D All-Stars game. I, I don't actually really like Mario 64 Sunshine <laughs> Galaxy that much, but because it's a limited thing, I had to pre-order it. I have to admit I'm the same. I, I like those games, but I wasn't going to buy them right off the bat. Yeah, I was going to buy them off the bat because I love those games. <laughs> um, but the limited factor of it just further encourage me i suppose to an extent i'd say i definitely think about that um with certain games like i you know i do pick them up because i i just to make sure i have the ability to play them uh and that even started to transition to digital stuff right like um the famous example scott pilgrim versus the world game that's just no longer available and so now i you know i even think about that with um oddly enough anything that's kind of licensed um I'm like, hmm, you know, this could find its way into some sort of licensing nightmare one day and, and become unavailable. And, um, you know, I do I want to play it? Maybe not today. Will I ever want to play it? Maybe I should probably link it to my account and have it on a hard drive or whatever and, and make sure, or if it's got a physical release, even better, purchase one of those just to make sure I, I can uh, access it one day if I if I feel like it. I guess we're all collectors, and like Wario, we just like to hoard stuff. But I guess Warriors you could argue Warrior's a lot smarter than us because he hoarded gold, and gold actually has a tangible value. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he hoarded gold and he makes games, so, you know, that's that's what we should be doing. <laughs> I, for, I forgot about that aspect of Warrior's empire. Bring back WarioWare. WarioWare 2021 for the Switch, make it happen. I guess to wrap up this conversation about retro gaming and bring it back into the realm of value and the price of games, what is the most expensive game that you've been eyeing off that if money wasn't an issue, you would buy instantly tomorrow if given the chance? Uh, the last Engage game I need, which is Civilization. <laughs> Please, if someone has it, I need it. Well, that's an easy uh, answer. What about you, Zach? That's a, it's a tough one. Um, it probably would be, and I only uh, it's odd because I've only just recently, I guess, looked into it. But it probably would be that Togepi <laughs> Pokemon mini game because I feel like if I got that, that is the the biggest hurdle in that little collection sort of set, and would allow me then to sort of pretty comfortably at, at a price that I'm willing to pay complete a, a full set of a system, even if it is just a system with seven games, which is an achievement I've uh, not really done. So that that might be it, because um, even compared to the Nintendo 64 or GameCube games I want, um, it is the most expensive I've seen. <laughs> yeah, for me, I think it has to be a game that I mentioned earlier in this episode, Panzer Dragoon Saga, because... I came to the Sega Saturn train quite. I came to the Sega Saturn party quite late. I picked one up in 2013. Still don't really know why, but I've enjoyed the ride with it. And 
that's the one game that's been on my list of I'd love to own this, but it's just way too expensive and I can't I find it difficult to justify it. So that would be the one I'd jump to get and then I could I guess consider my collection closed because I have the majority of the games I want for that system, thankfully. Does that mean you own a copy of Sonic Jam? No, Sonic Shuffle. That's the one I wanted to say. The amazing Mario Party Sonic That's game. That's a Dreamcast game, uh, Zach. I think Luke Luke Is would it? be more likely to own that. I'm bad. I thought Sonic Shuffle was a... Was a okay, you're probably nah. right. Um, Saturn has the great Sonic R. Oh, yes. I yeah, got a Super Sonic Racing. Get them feet up off the ground. Well, exactly. And uh, on that note... Thank you for listening to another episode of Blowing Cartridges. Uh, and thank you very much, Luke, for joining us on this episode. And I think for all the listeners out there, if they're interested in your Engage collection, if they're interested in the content you create, because you have a YouTube channel, you create quite frequent content, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been really good. So my YouTube channel is very poorly named, but you can find it at youtube.com slash L-V-A-N-E-E-D-E. I'm sure you can put that in the show notes. I stream games, all sorts of Nintendo and Xbox stuff, like recently I did Ghost Trick for the DS or Tell Me Why on Xbox One. And I have videos... Uh, like gameplay videos of basically every Engage game. Um, and then I have also been making other videos recently. Um, I've got one on the official Nintendo DS video capture device, the iOS Nitro Capture. And uh, there's another good recent one I did recently of a tour of my lounge room and kind of collection overview. So I like to think I put out some interesting stuff. And uh, then you can also find me on Twitter at A-D-E-E-E-L-N-V, which is also very poorly named, but you'll still be able to find it. Yes, I'll make sure to put these links in the show notes. And I can very highly recommend Luke's content. I've enjoyed it. And there was recently a video on Xenoblade Chronicles X and why people should play it. And I enjoyed that thoroughly because I think that's a very underrated Wii U game well underrated console as a whole as we can all attest to as Nintendo fans I'm glad you like that I had fun making it <laughs> I was going to say I also echo that I really enjoy Luke's content um, not not to you know give him a big head but I think what you'll find interesting um, if you haven't looked at his stuff already is like he's got you put in the effort like that that IS Nitro um, sort of videos that you've done, like the way you set them up with CRTs and that kind of stuff, you put in the technical effort to sh- show off some really cool and unique things where a lot of people, uh, a lot of YouTubers would be too lazy to go that far. You know, they just show you an unboxing of it and maybe what it looks like, but to set it up the way you had, and um, that's that that's what really sells it to me and what makes them really sort of unique and interesting content online. Yeah, good. I, I'm glad you appreciate my effort. <laughs> <laughs> and as always if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to reach out to us you can find us on twitter at blowcartpod you can email us at blowingcartridge at gmail.com you can like our facebook page and message zach there because he's in charge of that 
Uh, it's Blowing Cartridges Podcast, I believe the Facebook page name is. Yes. If you want to follow me personally and, uh, I don't know, uh, watch my rants about the world and all the money I'm spending on probably worthless video game related stuff, you can find me at Tamazoid. And where can people find you, Zach, if they want to jump on your Ponzi schemes? Yeah, well, at Eggerino, um, and which is E G G E R I N O um, on Twitter, uh, or as, as as Brendan mentioned, if you message the Facebook page, it's probably me responding. Um, and yeah, uh, happy to subscribe you to my Ponzi schemes. Uh, I will send you um, a little message, you know, once a month uh, for a small fee of you know five dollars. Um, so let me know if you want to get on board in that. Now, the message I can guarantee will contain at least six words. So it's pretty good value. That's like a free word, uh, you know, when you consider you're paying $5. Um, but until then, if you want to message us, leave a review. Uh, you can obviously on, on iTunes uh, or whatever podcasting app you're using. Um, let us know, what would you pay for this podcast? Is it $10, $100? How much can we start charging you? We're really curious to find out. Or should we be paying you to listen? Is it that bad? Either way, curious to find out. I think it's the latter, Zach. Yep. Uh, and that's why I'm starting the Ponzi key, uh, scheme, Brendan, so I can fund the, the payment of our listeners. It all comes back in circles. I thought the Ponzi scheme was to fund your collection of Russell Grant's astrology and uh, Animal Crossing uh, Amiibo Festival. Look, that that's um that's that's secretly what it's for, but I wasn't gonna air that out loud. So thanks for, for outing me <laughs> for, for my um my little uh, fort I'm building out of two of uh, the best games to ever release. Well before I end uh, Zach's Ponzi scheme empire, uh, I'll call it a halt to this episode. Uh, as always I've been Brendan and thanks for listening. Editor's note. The day after we recorded this episode, Brendan discovered Sayonara Wild Hearts did actually get a physical version. It was announced a few weeks ago and is a limited release by I Am 8-Bit. The three on this episode were all happy with the news, especially Luke. He immediately placed an order for it. However, it is not full retail price, only $34.99 US dollars. Luke also has an archived stream of the game on his YouTube channel. That is all for now, goodbye.